The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. You're tuned in to Heat Check with Trista Crick. On this episode of the Heat Check, it's our free agency preview show, and not only do I catch you up on what you need to know, but I'm joined on this episode by two special guests, Keith Smith, friend of show from Spotrack, and a legend, Tam Favalli. I don't know why I said Tan. Dan Favalli of Bleacher Report and the Hardwood Knox podcast. Get it? Hardwood Knox? Whole lot of information that you need to know heading into free agency weekend, so Nick, do me a favor and drop that motherfucking beat. This should be Rihanna. So the new CBA is officially out, and it is nearly 600 pages of glory. And folks, it's not exactly what I would call player-friendly. There are punitive measures uh, in place to make sure to hammer owners pause who repeatedly surpassed the luxury tax which is now tiered by the way uh, going over the second apron will not only cost you as much as seven dollars per dollar you spend uh you can't sign buyout players you lose your mid-level exception and you can't even have some of your draft picks sounds like The Warriors and Clippers would hate that. Uh, Even the richest NBA owners are now feeling the crunch. I did a TikTok on how Joe Lacob cut ties with Jordan Poole and made him the first victim of the CBA because that was a salary dump. And now Steve Ballmer has done it again. By far the richest owner decides, Eric Gordon, you, baby, have to go because we are not spending $110 million on a 3-and-D shooter who can really only shoot threes from the corner. When a guy that's worth $100 billion says... Yeah, we're just not. That's the end of the era, folks. That's it. Uh, What you're going to now see are teams, even rich teams, being very reluctant to sign these long-term contracts over 100 milli. And those teams like Phoenix, even the young players, and those teams like Phoenix who have multiple bloated contracts with older, more, we'll call it soft tissue injury prone players, they're going to now live and die by uh, checks, notes, veteran minimum contracts from players just chasing the rings. Sounds like the Lakers. Uh, change isn't just coming. It's here. Check out social. I did a, uh, an explainer of everything that you need to know about the CBA. It's worth checking out. It will dictate what's happening forward in the league. So free agency is here tonight at 5 p.m. We got to catch up. I want to get a little few thoughts down before it happens uh, to get us prepared. First of all, there's already been some extensions that have removed big names from the marketplace. We know that Nas Reed signed a three-year $42 million deal. With the Timberwolves, great signing. Uh, We talked last episode about how that meant that the Wolves had $90 million tied up in three centers, and what that really meant was that Kitty Cat had to go. 
Um, but after that, we had another one. Harrison Barnes returns to the Kings on a three-year $54 million deal, which I think is pretty much a good thing for both sides. Harrison Barnes, very steady, can play great defense, can shoot threes unless he's playing against the Warriors, and it's pretty cheap. Three years, $54 million deal. Way cheaper than, say, somebody like Jordan Poole. For the Kings, it helps them continue to evolve and get better. And I think both sides are probably happy here. Um, Nikola Vucevic signed for three years and $60 million with the Bulls. And you could say he's not worth that much money. And I could understand why you would think that because even though he had a statistically or actually what you might think was statistically his best year, it was identical to the year before that where he was, in many people's minds, absolute trash. But if you were to lose Vucevic and you're the Bulls, you have no one else that you can sign. You can't replace that money with a serviceable player of his caliber. You would have to find someone for much less money who wouldn't even be close to the type of player that Vucevic was. So this is the CBA biting teams in the ass and makes you make decisions that you really don't want to make, which is, listen, we only have so much to spend, and sometimes you can only spend it on certain players. Uh, Goga Batazzi, remember him? He was the one who uh, got in a fight during the Olympics. I think he got his ass whooped, actually. He got his option picked up by Orlando, as did Miles McBride with the Knicks, Jared Vanderbilt with the Lakers, good for Vando, Xavier Tillman with the Grizz, Alec Burks with the Pistons, good for Alec Burks, I guess. His option was $10.5 million. Does seem like a lot for Alec Burks. How do I know his name is Alec and not Alex? I mean, only only the deep of the deep know that. Jordan Clarkson, that's how low-key low key and niche he is. Jordan Clarkson exercised his player option to stay with the Utah Jazz. Kelly, that's just crazy. That's crazy. Remember we thought Jordan Clarkson would go? Maybe he's going to wait till free agency. Kelly Olenek and Talon Horton Tucker. Um, not Taylor Horton Tucker, like some other people might think his name is. Meaning three players are returning to the Jazz now. Three players I did not see returning. Josh Hart picked up his option. Uh, Joshua Hart, that is. $12.9 million with the Knicks. An additional Villanova Wildcat. Dante DiVincenzo may also be coming to the Garden. Oladipo picks up his $9.4 million option. Listen, uh, that is not news. <laughs> this man has no knees. He has no ligaments anywhere in his lower extremities. So if you can pick up $9.4 million from anyone, you better take it, baby, and you better run because you were getting the vet minimum anywhere else. Uh, there were a lot of players that had their options declined as well, making them free agents. Um, Portland passed on Kevin Knox in part because he was the ad man out and uh, and. You've got the Lakers declining $10.5 million on Mobamba, $16.5 million on Malik Beasley. Just too much for the Lakers to pick up. May bring them back for less, but we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Some people thought uh, that maybe Herb Jones would test things out. Uh, the Pelicans declined the $1.8 million option on him, so <gasps> what happens next? Nothing. Uh, they declined it so that they could lock him up long-term, of course. They want him probably for the rest of his career there. Likewise, Torian Prince had his option declined by the Wolves and found out on Twitter from Woj, pretty much like all of us. Uh, but they also want to bring him back, so that's a fun, cute, adorable story. 
three high draft picks. Former 11 pick Michael Carter-Williams, who I, I barely remember is in the league. Former number eight uh, pick Jackson Hayes. Remember Jackson Hayes had a moment when he tried to uh, knock that door down in a domestic dispute. And former number 17 pick Nikhil Alexander-Walker from Minnesota all waved. I think two of those players actually were drafted by New Orleans, so good job, David Griffin. So now that we're up to date, <laughs> I'm going to go over 10 free agents that I'm interested in and what they might actually do in the next 12 hours. Uh, James Harden, first up. We all thought maybe James Harden would either go to Houston and they would pay him an ungodly amount of money to sell tickets for Tillman Fertitta, a man who only cares about the shrimp fort and the dollar dollar bills, or he would go back with Daryl Morey and his love affair to Philadelphia. In the bombshell move, it looks like neither are going to happen. Harden and Sixers were so far apart on a contract that they are now looking to trade him as he has exercised his player option. Everyone is now speculating, where will Harden land? We know it's not going to be Houston. Uh, even though they have $61 million in cap space, that's not happening. They're going to probably go after someone like Kuzma, Van Fleet, Dylan Brooks. Why not both? Uh, Ime Udoka can't make it more clear that he does not want James Harden messing with the team chemistry on a young team. So where does he end up? The rumors are getting hot. The Clippers seem to be the leaders in the clubhouse, and the Heat are also interested. Apparently, the Knicks are interested. But once again, for the third straight year, James Harden has hijacked our offseason. Why? Why? I don't know why he does it. I don't know. Did not see it coming, but hey, that's why it's the NBA. That's what makes it exciting. Kyrie Irving, another exhausting, exasperating former teammate of James Harden, is also hijacking the moment. He is on full spin cycle pretending that other teams are interested in him for anything more than the veteran minimum. Kyrie Irving, you continue to peddle those lies. Uh, you are going back to Dallas. Everyone knows it unless you are out of your mind and you take the absolute minimum to play for the Suns. Apparently, uh, he has been having mutual interest with Phoenix. Okay. If Matt Ishbia does that deal, someone needs to take the team away from him. Would that be the shortest tenure of a freaking NBA owner we've ever seen? It's just him and Isaiah Thomas out on the street after nine months of owning an NBA team. I mean, there's just no chance that happens. There's just no chance. P.J. Washington, a.k.a. the, uh, the victim of Brittany Renner, has been offered four years and $52 million, but he's looking for more. He's a nice little four, five, small five, big four. Pretty inconsistent, but he plays for Charlotte, so we're not even really sure what he could do. He could probably get as much as $75 million from someone looking for a wing, and guess what? He needs it because he's been paying all that money to Brittany Renner. Max Truce is loose to the tune of three years, 48 from the Pacers. Is that true? That's the rumor. There's no way the Heat can match that. The Heat don't have any money. The Heat are over the luxury tax. The Heat can barely afford to keep Gabe Vincent, let alone the Struce is loose. Very strange player, very tall, can play a little defense, obviously shoot from 40% from three. Uh, no one goes one for 11 and then 11 for 11 from three in back-to-back -back games more than Max Truce, but he'll be missed in Miami, and I'm sure the girls will miss him there too. Bruce Brown, is there any more hot commodity on the market than a $12.5 million Bruce Brown? After, after winning 
uh, in NBA Finals after being completely misused by Steve Nash, which is just the most Steve Nash move. Uh, he is the bell of the ball. The Lakers are prepared to offer him $12.3 million, which is the mid-level exception. More than the Nuggets can give him. I don't know if he runs it back with the Nugs. I'm sure that will make him sad. But he's earned every penny. And $6 million, if you're in, the, in that range where it's either 6 or 12, let me say this. It matters to you. It matters. Uh, Cam Reddish. What a sad story Cam Reddish has become. I hope he sticks and fits somewhere because he's gone from Atlanta to New York to Portland, and everyone has chewed him in and spit him out. The Blazers declined his option, and on a team that's literally looking for six, seven to six, nine guys that can play defense, shoot, and score at all three levels, you'd think they would maybe want Cam Reddish, but they do not. Um, they let him go for nothing. He's one of the most confusing players in the NBA. Even his Duke teammates like Zion and R.J. Barrett said, oh, he's going to be the best one of our class. They were fucking lying. They were, I mean, it's not, I mean, listen, it's closer than you'd think. And that's more to do with Zion and R.J. Barrett than that has to do with Cam Reddish. Ugh. Someone's going to take a flyer on him. I hope he, I hope he like thrives in a place like OKC or Orlando, a place with no pressure, a place that loves length and athleticism, and a place will probably be like the eighth man off the bench just scoring buckets. Up next is Christian Wood. Uh, he was seen as maybe coming back to Dallas. They do not want him. Uh, his agent's annoying. He's annoying. Uh, he was not well-liked by Jason Kidd. He's an unrestricted free agent now. Rumors were that the Miami Heat want him, but that's a lie. We know that. He doesn't play a lick of defense, and let's be real. Do you think he fits into the Heat culture? Pause. Oh, wait. No, you know he doesn't. He's got a lot of talent. He can score, but he seems to wear out his welcome fucking fast. Even with Detroit? When Detroit tells you you gotta go, baby, you gotta go. Chris Middleton, he declines his option, but he's probably coming back to the Bucks. let's be honest. Like, there's a chance he could be on the move, but it's a very small chance. Is his knee fixing like itself? Is it regenerating? Is he gonna be healthy next year? We'll have to see, because when he's healthy and he's... Uh, an incredible compliment to Giannis. I tell you what, they are really hard to beat. Another Milwaukee Buck that we need to figure out what's happening to him is Brooke Lopez. Coming off his best year, Defensive Player of the Year candidate. The demand for centers would seem to be quite low. But again, everyone wants a little Bruce Brown. Everyone wants a little Brooke Lopez on their roster. Uh, not a small number of teams who will sign him if they can, even though he's getting a little long in the tooth now. Uh, I would love him in Portland, but it appears the Bucks want to bring him back as well. Uh, D. Rose, very sad. D. Rose is coming to the end of the road like uh, boys to men. Uh, the last of my 10 interesting free agents is Derrick Rose. He got his option declined in New York after being basically DFA'd, uh, designated free agents, designated for arrival, whatever you want to call it. That's a baseball term. Uh, most of the second half of the year, he was unusable. He didn't complain. Uh, he just kept chilling, which only makes his value higher on the market than it probably would have been. I could see him coming on the sun, going to the Suns, a team that, team that needs a little veteran depth, somebody who can bring the ball up. A lot of teams could use a little 10, 15 minutes of Derrick Rose. Maybe a team like the Lakers or the Jazz, like I said. A team like, uh, who knows? Maybe Orlando wants a 10th point guard.
We bring on Keith Smith, Spotrack, who is, we could not have asked for a better day to have you on in a better time. And I actually want to start with a tweet that you put out, which I think is really interesting. With the James Harden picking up the option and then possibly being traded, they're going to look to move him. Uh, you brought up something I think that's really important, where this is going to be a short-term deal with whoever actually trades for Harden, right? Yeah, they, he's not extension eligible. So this is not going to be an extended trade or one of those deals where he gets traded and then extends because he only did a two-year contract with Philadelphia last offseason. That doesn't allow him to extend. So he's going to go wherever he is, play out the year, and then be an unrestricted free agent in the summer of 2024. Wow. It's obviously interesting to see how things fell apart between Harden and the Sixers given – Keith, the love affair that Daryl Morey and Harden have had for so long, right? You thought maybe James Harden and Daryl Morey were, would end their careers together. Um, so what do the Sixers do now? Like, say it is a Clippers deal. Is it just for picks? Are they rebuilding? Are they retooling? Could we see Embiid maybe be another domino down the road? Yeah, I don't think we'll see anything with Embiid. I think you kind of refocus around Embiid. You get Tyrese Maxey extended. You still have Tobias Harris there, and you you move forward with the best deal you can and try to rebalance your roster a little bit and maybe add a little bit of depth. You hopefully can turn James Harden into two, maybe even three uh, guys who can move it forward from there around, around really what's an Embiid Maxi core um, of guys who we signed long-term. And, and you put the ball in Maxi's hands more and say, hey, let's go, young fellow. This is kind of your show to run now. Keith, when you look at these potential landing spots for James Harden, if he even does end up getting moved here, where do you think the best fit at this point of his career would be? Yeah, I think the Clippers probably. It seems like they're a team that makes a lot of sense for him. They need another ball handler. Uh, Harden up until the last couple of years had been remarkably durable. He's a guy who hadn't missed much time. So hopefully, you know, he could come in and bring at least some level of stability uh, to to a team that you know their star guys miss a lot of time. So so you would hope for that. And they're they're. What was interesting when they waived Eric Gordon, it was, all right, maybe we finally found the limit to how much uh, Steve Ballmer is willing to pay. But if he's willing to take on Harden now, you know, when maybe he's just saying, hey, we're going to kind of clear out a little bit of room and then we'll take Harden on. They're obviously going to have to trade matching salary to get him, but we'll bring him in and we'll, we'll just kind of keep doing what we've been doing, which is pile up contracts for players and we'll, we'll let it all play out on the court. Given the fact that it would only be a one-year commitment that a team would have with him, and he's 33, and we've seen a little regression certainly there, what would the price actually be for a team to trade for James Harden? Yeah, this is not going to be one of those like overwhelming superstar uh, returns. I think people – you got to come away from what happened last summer with like Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell and those kind of things and think more, you know, in between the Bradley Beal trade and, you know, those kind of monster uh, type trades. So what, what we'll probably see, my guess is uh, Philly will take back two, three players that are good players, rotation guys, you know, maybe a couple starters, but nobody who's really an all-star level player. Um, 
I don't know that they're going to get young talent back. I don't even know that they'll get a draft pick back. I think it's mostly going to be, hey, we're, we're taking on Harden. He doesn't want to be here. We're going to give you a couple good players, and we'll go from there. That's probably likely how this will play out as opposed to, you know, one of those ones where you come away like, man, they, they what a haul they got for James Harden. I just don't know that it's going to play out that way given the age concerns, the potential injury concerns, and the fact that it is you know could turn into a one-year rental. Walk me through what the Clippers' mindset is right now because both Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are both extension eligible in the next month. Uh, obviously, I think Jerry West just went on Paul George's podcast and said, like, it's unacceptable how little you guys all play together. You can't be only playing 60 games combined. Uh, where are they at in the process of building this roster? Are they ready to rebuild or are they looking to add pieces for like one more last dance kind of thing? Yeah, the interesting thing is both George and Leonard are extension eligible or they can play it out and be free agents next summer. So what I think you're looking for with the Clippers is, can we get one year where you all play a lot and we finally see what maybe this team was envisioned to be? And I think that's likely where this is headed for them is, let's go get whether it's James Harden or maybe another player you know becomes available by a trade that we're not, you know, we don't know anything about right now. And let's go get that guy, put him in there to fill a point guard spot. I think you're going to see, I don't want to use the word push guys to play um, or the term push guys to play, but I think you're going to see them be a little bit more of, Hey, we really took it easy this entire season. You got to the playoffs and you still weren't here, right? We still had injuries. I think they're going to value the regular season a little bit more this year. Try to kind of let's have one all in go after it type of year. And then we'll see where it goes from there. Uh, Keith, we also found out that Kyrie Irving is going to meet with the Suns, you know, when free agency officially begins on June 30th. Do you think it's more likely uh, that he's back in Dallas, or do you think that he does end up somewhere with Phoenix? And and also, uh, not to ask a loaded question here, why would Kevin Durant, I know they're friends and whatnot off the court, but why would he want to attach himself to Kyrie again, do you think? <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, we'll see. You know, I, I don't know the answer to that last part. I have no, no uh, sense of that situation. Hit, hit Kevin Durant up on Twitter. You may get an actual answer out of him. You know, he's, he's pretty good about, about replying. But I think <laughs> the Suns thing, it, this is what I do, right, is the salary cap. Like, this is what I cover yep. and run. I have no idea how this would even be a thing. You know, now. I have said repeatedly, if, if if I woke up one morning and you told me, hey, an NBA superstar took the veteran minimum to sign with a team and passed up on hundreds of million, I you wouldn't even have to give me two guesses. I'd be like, oh, where did Kyrie go? Right? That, that would be where I would go with that. But I think the thing with him is this is probably more of a, hey, Dallas, I have other options. You know, let's make sure, you know, you don't get cute with your offers to me and these kind of things. I just, it's very, very hard to envision any path for Kyrie to get to Phoenix on any kind of realistic trade um, because of just where, where they're at salary-wise already after making the Bradley Beal deal. Yeah, so at this point now, when you look at that big three, I mean, this is what we've talked about since they made that uh, Kevin Durant trade was Suns have no depth whatsoever. Now they add Beal. What type of restrictions or really just what type of movement do they even have to add to this team to make them not just a contender, but like, you know, somebody that has depth that can play out an entire season? 
Yeah, I mean, we're we're in, like, day two of them keeping DeAndre Ayton, so that means probably tomorrow it'll be that they're shopping him. <laughs> it seems like that's how that cycle spins uh, there in Phoenix. So I think, you know, we'll, we'll find out. You know, again, they might be able to turn DeAndre Ayton into one or two or three players uh, if they could to, to replenish some depth. But mostly they're down to re-signing guys and then signing players to, to the veteran minimum. I think what you're going to see them do is don't be surprised if, if we all you'll know, get news maybe even tomorrow night when negotiations open at 6 p.m. Eastern. The Suns are signing Tory Craig to something like a $10 million contract, which everybody would be like, wow, that's a lot for Tory Craig. But what that does is that makes him a tradable salary down the line because it's not so much that it's a bad contract. Jock Landale, who is you know one of their backup centers, is a restricted free agent. They could bring him back and say, yeah, we could bring him back on the minimum, but let's bring him back at like two, you know, three, four, five million dollars. Again, remains a tradable contract and you could move them down the line. So I think that's the kind of things you're going to see with them. Then veterans, when the first couple waves of free agency go through, all the cap space is gone. Most of the exceptions have been used by contenders. They're going to look around and say, you know what? Phoenix has a really good chance to win and they have rotation roles available. Those are the two things those guys prize when they're in that position if they're chasing a ring. So, hey, why not? You know, I'll sign up, come there, I can play, you know, 15, 20 minutes a night and try to help that team win a title. So I guess let's talk about Dallas and if they do sign uh, Kyrie Irving. What is their cap situation looking like? Because their cap holds are enormous. Yeah, so what they're – they – did some maneuvering at the draft to to move around some some money they get off of uh, of um, Davis Berton's contract and brought in Rashawn Holmes that saved them a little bit of money. They can get into range again, depending on how much Kyrie Irving resigns for, and that's what I assume is going to happen is that he resigns at Dallas. If he gives them even a little bit of a break and doesn't take the full max that he can get. And that may be one where Dallas says, Hey, we'll give you an extra year on the contract. If you'll bring the overall number down a little bit and bring that first year salary down, what you could see is they could get in a range to use the, um, the non-taxpayer MLE. Now it'd be tight, but they could probably pull that off. And at that point, they're going to be in on all kinds of guys. There was reporting today that they want to meet with Bruce Brown. Um, Bruce Brown, I think, is going to have a you know, hundred meetings tomorrow. It sounds like you know, it sounds like everybody wants a meeting with Bruce Brown, including the Denver Nuggets. But those are the kind of guys you'd be looking at. Those mid-level target guys to come in, you know, play again. That's another team that can can tell a player, hey, come here for twelve million. We've got 25, maybe even 30 minutes a night available for you because we do. They do have some rotation uh, holes to fill there in Dallas. When you look at the box cap situation, what do you think they end up doing here with Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez, and how creative and, and what really could they do this off season? You know, because you look out east and it's really Boston. Uh, we'll see what Philadelphia looks like. Uh, we don't even talk about Miami, even though they were just in the finals. Um, so, what do you think Milwaukee could do here? Yeah, I think you're going to see Milwaukee kind of run it back for the most part with with their guys. I think you'll see them try to get Chris Middleton uh, add years on to he, – he declined like a $40 million player option, so add years, but bring that number down 
some, you know, may, maybe try to get him 30 to 35 million, bring that number down, but give him an extra year or so. I think they're going to do everything they can to re-sign Brooke Lopez. I know there's been all kinds of rumors out there. Houston maybe wanted him in it. At one point, uh, the Lakers are supposedly in on him and all these teams. And it makes sense because he's really good. He's coming off one of the best years of his career, uh, even despite his advanced age. But I think at the end of the day, he'll probably look around and say, you know, I play next to Giannis on a team that's really good for an organization that's been really good to me. I think he'll probably resign. And then from there, it's just about filling out the bench as best they can with, you know, probably try to resign guys like Javon Carter, Joe Ingles, bring those guys back into the fold. And they'll probably look pretty similar with a handful of moves around the edges. Um, but that's not a bad thing, right? They, I know their failure in the playoffs, and I'll call it a failure even if Giannis won't, is, you know, that that was, you know, left a sour taste in everybody's mouth, but that's still a very good basketball team. Talking to Keith Smith, BetMGM tonight. Uh, I just saw that we had uh, Chris Stapps Brzingis get introduced and seeing him wear the, the Celtics and all that. It's a little bit, uh, it's a little weird, but then again, he was a wizard for a short period of time. What, what do you think of the, one, the upside and the ceiling for the Celtics team, and, and two, can they afford this entire roster with some of the big deals that could be coming up down the road? Yeah, I think to answer the last part of your question first, it for them, I think for the Celtics, there's a little bit of a sense of let's let tomorrow's problems be tomorrow's problems. We're a contender right now. It's almost an NFL type of mindset where it's like, hey, we'll load up and go for it when we can. And then, you know, if we're, we're not a contender. Who cares if our cap sheet's a mess? You know, a few years down the line, we'll, we'll let that all sort itself out. And I think they also have belief of, hey, if this really goes sideways on us, all these guys are still good enough that we can you know, make trades and get out from under these deals if we need to. So to that point, I think, yo, know, I'm not locking it in that they're not going to get rid, they're not going to resign Grant Williams. I think a lot of people have gone there. I think there's a good chance they resign him. When things get really weird for the Celtics is next year and the years beyond when Jalen Brown will likely be on a supermax, followed by Jason Tatum a year later. Kristaps Porzingis sounds like there's going to be some kind of extension. So we'll see. On the court, their big thing is, what are they going to do at point guard, right? Marcus Marr, for all his flaws, was the heart and soul of that team, right? He was the guy who made a play whenever you needed a play made. He would hit the floor. He'd get the crowd fired up. He'd get everybody going. So you're in a position, if he's not there, you may have to do something different. So what you're ultimately looking at is you're going to be a different team with Kristaps Porzingis in the fold. You hope a better offensive team, a different kind of defensive team, but maybe not a bad one. He's a better defender than he gets credit for. But it's going to be be a different look in Boston for sure with bigger lineups. You'll try to maybe you know, hurt teams a little bit more with size than playing so much perimeter base, which became a little bit of a failing as the season went along. Keith, do you think middle-of-the-road players still end up getting these big max contracts now that we're seeing them be traded for chips? Yeah, not middle-of-the-road guys. I think teams are going to be a little bit more conservative and save those for the best-of-the-best superstars while also pitching those superstars. Hey, if you take a little bit less, we might be able to do X, Y, and Z down the line. That That's going to be a thing that teams are going to start to pitch because of the restrictions in the new CBA on those very, very expensive teams. Nice. You're the best, Keith. Appreciate giving us the time. I know it's a busy time of year for you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me.
Dan Favali jumps on with us. Bleacher Report. Uh, I, I guess it's pretty obvious what we're going to start with here. James Harden opting into his deal, and then he's going to probably get traded. I mean, first, we hear the Clippers and Knicks. Okay, so those are possibilities. How did we get to this point, and what makes the most sense for him now? I think we got to this point in part because the way that the NBA is now structured, I don't think stars of James Harden's age are going to get as much money later on in their careers. And so if he was going to opt out, his list of suitors was just so finite that it made more sense once Houston apparently pivoted to looking at guys who are more plug and play or maybe just younger guys um, to opt in and you could dictate your destination that way. And I think for him, the most sense to me would clearly make if you can go to the Clippers and they're not going to have to trade Kawhi or PG, it puts you in Los Angeles where we know that he would definitely want to be. And you form a very expensive big three and not a very durable big three. But I think that team um, makes the most sense for him, especially because the only other two that were kind of mentioned are Miami and New York. The Knicks don't make any sense to me. And the Heat, I know he would love Miami and the club scene there, but I don't think him and Jimmy Butler and his practice regimen would, would mesh too well together. Dan, you, uh, you wrote about the 10 most intriguing free agents that nobody is talking about. I'm particularly interested in your take on three of them. Javon Carter, who I think if Budenholzer would have played in the playoffs more two years ago, maybe they wouldn't have lost that playoff series. Ayo Desunmu and Johnny Utah, Utah Watanabe. Like, what do you like about these three and where do you see them going? Javon Carter, I do expect to to stay put just because the Bucs can't afford to lose him, but he's just so plug-and-play. Like, when you look at his defense and just a point guard who's not really a point guard, he'll play off the ball. Uh, I think I'm probably most intrigued by Ayo Desunmu. A lot of people seem down on him because he didn't shoot the three ball too well this year. We're talking about someone who can pass, keep the ball moving, is 6'5", and the Bulls had him guarding through his first two years in the NBA, positions one through four. And now there's talk that they might just let him walk if he gets more than, like, five million bucks a year or something uh so if you can get him for that number even if it's more than that number i would absolutely take a flyer and you know utah watanabe almost seems like he's become a mainstream free agent because of how many teams without any money are just looking at him and he makes a ton of sense as a guy that's six nine um can shoot the ball really well from three even if he won't take a ton of them and i think he's become a really a good or at least reliable help defender from both the inside and out and so if you're a team Everyone wants wings in general, but if you're a team that just doesn't have any money to spend and he's still going to fall in that sort of minimum contract range, I don't know how he's on your list. And at this point, it really wouldn't shock me if some of these teams with you know, the bigger MLEs or cap space are just like, well, hey, here's a two-year deal that's going to pay you noticeably more because we think that you're that plug-and-play into our rotation. Do you think Chicago ends up moving Zach Levine here uh, this offseason? And what do you think even a package – would look like for Zach Levine and, you know, a potential fit as well. I do think to answer your second question first, that Zach Levine would net more than people are kind of expecting. I feel like his deal has been viewed as this net negative all of a sudden, and I just don't agree. He's like one of the most valuable off-the-bounce scorers in the NBA, and I think if you moved him, you would probably get the equivalent of at least three first-round picks or prospects. Uh, I think he's been linked to the Knicks, which which I do believe makes a lot of sense, even though their fans don't seem to think that. I could see Miami maybe getting in on him if they do make him available. I will say they just paid Vooch, so I have no idea why you would move Zach Levine now. I don't know what type of message that sends about your direction if you give Vooch $20 million a year, guaranteed, and then you go and move Zach Levine. I just don't know where that, that leaves you, and so I'd expect them to, to run it back. 
Yeah, Zach Levine linked to the Knicks. James Harden linked to the Knicks. As a Knicks fan, I don't want to see it. But, uh, you know, I, I guess at this point, a team that made it to the second round, I'll take it at this point. Uh, if, if not either one of those guys, I mean, we saw, obviously, the Knicks take that next step. And they've got a good young core. And they've got assets. They've got draft picks. Will they be aggressive this offseason? Or are they, are they going to be more in a position where it's, all right, let's kind of pick and choose our spot because we're really starting to build something here? I think it will probably be the latter just because I think you look at a lot of the names that are out there and like, let's use James Harden as an example. They got to get past being involved with these guys who are past their prime and Harden's about to turn 34. How many great years do you have left in him? And so you're, you're going to want to hold out for probably someone who's in the Donovan Mitchell age range or younger. I will say it wouldn't surprise me if they wound up acting more quickly just because they're not as strong from an asset perspective as they were even a year ago. Emmanuel Quickly and Obi Toppin are going to need new deals soon. You still do have Quentin Grimes, but you've already paid R.J. Barrett, who's probably a little bit less valuable than he was on his current contract. Your own draft picks are not as valuable now because people actually think and believe you might remain good. And then you have all these extra first-rounders that are kind of fake first-rounders. Like, yeah, the Dallas pick might convey, but the Washington-Detroit picks, those might never convey. And so I know they're mentioned a lot with stars, but they actually don't have as strong of an asset base right now as I think a lot of people believe. I'm curious your thoughts on what the Cleveland Cavaliers are doing. Darius Garland is now rumored to be in trade discussions. Brian Windhorst said that there's some sort of outlandish rumors going on in terms of maybe players going to the Cavs. Like, what's their game plan? Because Jared Allen and Evan Mobley clearly didn't work. They were favored in the series against the Nets or the against the Knicks, excuse me, and it just really didn't vibe in the playoff environment yeah i would the darius garland noise is so weird i think i'd be flabbergasted if they moved him or donovan mitchell this this summer i think you look at the mobley allen pairing and it works defensively but they rebounded really poorly for having that size on the court and then it does shrink the floor offensively and so when we're talking about outlandish things it's clearly not going to be mobley and so it's are they going to move jared allen and other stuff and maybe bring a wing in there, I do think, though, that they're not obligated to go nuclear. Like, if they could just sign a wing like a Josh Richardson with their mid-level exception, this is a team that I think just becomes infinitely more of a threat in the East. But when Windhorse sends up those cryptic signals, you have to stop and listen. And so I really wouldn't expect it to be Garland. It could be Jared Allen, or if it's going to be super nuclear, just the Donovan Mitchell stuff. If he really wants to get to New York or has already said, hey, when I get the free agency in a couple of years, I'm not coming back. Um, the Cavs are going to want to recoup as much of the first-round equity as they gave up to get him as they can. And the way to do that would be to move him with as much time as possible left on his deal, which would be right now. Talking to Dan Favalli, Bleacher Report, host of the Hardwood Knox podcast. You know, the Spurs are obviously an interesting spot now with Victor Wembanyama there, and uh, they were really bad last year. I think we know that, but they were trying to lose games. Is there a chance now, we don't have win totals out yet for the NBA, obviously, but is there a chance that this is a team that maybe pulls in a couple of surprise free agent moves or maybe a couple of decently aggressive trades or just something that takes them from, you know, the team last year that was obviously trying to lose to, I don't know, maybe even just somewhere where you win 34, 35 games? Yeah, I think I think there's a chance they just get there because Wembenyama's that good. We kind of saw it when Luka Doncic comes into the league and he's just immediately ready. And if you're going to play him heavy minutes, I don't know what their work, they anticipate his workload to be. And he's as transformative, specifically on defense, as he's supposed to be. Uh, I think you immediately vault into, hey, maybe 30-plus win territory. It's interesting to consider, well, why not go out and try and sign even one 
impact veteran. Maybe it's a Fred Van Fleet to organize your offense or a Brooke Lopez. Just give him the short-term windfall to pair him next to Wemby. That would significantly elevate their ceiling if Wemby is who we think he is. He would just be so out of character for the organization. And it's almost a little bit upsetting from a basketball fan's perspective because it feels like they're in a position to be good right away. I would expect, however, them to probably use their cap space kind of like we've seen OKC and Utah use theirs so far where they're soaking up some unwanted contracts that are either attached to something or they're taking a flyer on on a player who's considered a distressed asset himself at this point. Yeah, you mentioned OKC. I'm curious your thoughts about the jump for OKC this year. Obviously, Chet's been with the team the entire year recovering from injury. They draft Case and Wallace out of Kentucky. Kentucky guards outperform their draft stock a lot in the NBA, but they have now a ton of guards. Um, are they maybe going to be looking to move some guys out? Like, is Case and Wallace kind of at the end of the bench? Like, what's their strategy, you think, for this season? Yeah, I honestly don't know. And your point about the guards is just so salient. I wouldn't expect Case and Wallace to play that much right now, just with Giddy, Lou Dort, and SGA there. They do have, like, 16 players under contract, so they're going to have to trim that down. Maybe they're ripe for a consolidation trade. Um, I honestly don't know what's in store. A name long-term for them that I would just monitor, and it's sacrilegious to suggest in, in Oklahoma City, is just Lou Dort. He's on a great contract. He's just massive defensively. And if they're ever looking to, one, make a consolidation trade or just open up more time um, if they don't want to pay him or if they just want to make themselves more flexible in the backcourt, that's just sort of the name, the larger salary on their books that – they could potentially move. And I'm sure there are teams right now that would give up at least two first-round picks for him. Wow. Dan, we still got about two minutes. Where are you at with the Pelicans? Because we pop up the Western Conference odds right now, and they're 22-1, to 1, which is kind of hard to believe because they look so good before, obviously, like Zion got hurt again. And you worry about his health. But I like Brandon Ingram. I like a guy like Trey Murphy. And they're still really deep. They got a bunch of talent. Uh, where are you at with the Pelicans, though? You think, you know, maybe they could bounce back next season and be a playoff team? Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, they're a dark horse contender if Zion's going to play, let's say, 60 games. It's just we've yet to really see him do that. And so how do you bank on it? And how do you plan around it? They're not going to do anything in free agency. Can you make some sort of a trade that gives you some, someone that works with Zion but also helps you while he's out? It's a very tough line to straddle. But I think if they can go out on the trade market or maybe free agency and add either a shooter or a rim protector to pair with Zion, presumably you'd want both in the same player, hashtag Miles Turner still, but uh, if they can add that type of skill set to their rotation and they're able to stay even relatively healthy, I'm talking like 58, 62 games from Zion, they're absolutely a threat to finish at or near the top of the West. I, I just wanted to, you, you mentioned Miles Turner, so I just wanted to like jump on that. Like I saw that the Charlotte Hornets extended a qualifying offer to him. Do you think there's going to be a, a big market for him from other teams or do you think the history will hold teams back from him because he's so talented yeah miles bridges with that felony domestic violence um stuff just for lack of a better word i i think teams are going to steer clear outside of charlotte and i would argue that and this is a very callous way to look at it but from a pure basketball standpoint i think it's worse for an outside team to come in with one of these bigger money offers now than it would be for a Charlotte team where it's like, well, hey, he was our player. He didn't play last season. He's going to serve the balance of his 30-game suspension. But he is a name that I've heard people say that some really just weird, egregious things could happen. Nobody's talking about him because they assume he'll stay in Charlotte. But if teams with money want to float offers his way, he's absolutely someone who can, on the basketball court, move the needle for you. 
All right, still got about a minute here. So before you go, we take James Harden out of the equation here. The NBA star that's most likely to be traded this offseason, who would it be right now? Oh, man, that's a great question. Um, I'm going to say it's Carl Anthony Towns. There's just Rudy Gobert is there. They've committed to a direction. You paid Nas Reed. You have so much money wrapped up in big men. You let Torian Prince go. You're letting Nikhil Alexander-Walker go as well. It seems like they're sort of setting themselves up to be more flexible, maybe in free agency, but also perhaps on the trade market. And that just feels like the guy outside of a James Harden trade right now. And Damian Lillard would be number two, but that just seems destined to continue dragging out, I think, until around the deadline. That's all the time that we have for the Heat Check. Many thanks to Keith Smith and Dan Favalli, as well as my BetMGM co-host Nick Ashew and Ryan Horvath, as well as my producer Scott Lynn. Check out the feed for past episodes and mini episodes, which drop unexpectedly like presents from the sky. Do not forget to download, subscribe. Please tell your friends, every single one of them. And follow us. Follow us on the Heat Check at This Heat Check on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Trista Crick. It's getting late, fam. I haven't even packed for my trip. We'll see you next time. Many thanks to my producer, Nick Berlansky, and to all of you guys who give it a listen. We'll see you up next.